0: So we're here for the next episode of the podcast and today we have three guests.
1: Good morning everyone, it's Marion Burns again from Education Scotland. Hi, I'm James, an educational psychologist with Highland Council specialising in early years and Marian, Lynn and Liz asked me to contribute some text to realising the ambition on child development.
0: Good morning, I'm Lynn Taylor and I'm education officer at Education Scotland. Okay, so at the end of the last episode, we were talking about transition with Marion and Liz. Um, And I think it's really useful that you're here, James, because we can now start thinking about how your expertise around child development can support practitioners in planning for successful transitions back into um, the early learning and childcare settings.
1: Yeah, so I think the first thing for me is we really can't make any assumptions about how the children will be how their families will be, and what their experiences of lockdown and the corona crisis might be. Um, There's likely to be broadly two groups of children, groups of children who've had a really lovely experience playing at home, and their families have come through this, and they've had stresses, but they've coped with them together. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's gonna be groups of children who for lots of different reasons, most of them nobody's fault. Uh, Lockdown might have been a really difficult and stressful experience and families might have struggled to find happy times to play and talk together. And then there's gonna be a bulk of children in the middle who are gonna be okay in some ways and not okay in others. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things we really have to think about with this is that the transition's gonna happen over time. So there's kids who are gonna be absolutely fine to start with, and then they might wobble some weeks later once they're back in settings and feeling really safe. Yeah. There are some kids who might really struggle at first, and they might you know, be going back to not wanting to be dropped off, and we'll have to go back to lots and lots of what we might think of as younger strategies, mm-hmm. but then they'll be okay. And there'll be children who will come and go. And families also are gonna come and go in terms of their stress and capacity, because mm-hmm. it's not gonna be a smooth landscape for any of us and also to keep all that show on the road we've got to think as realising ambition promises about staff and their well-being and the wider system that they're involved in because we're going to be going through our own roller coasters so again it's let we mustn't make assumptions we have to respond to the children and families and ourselves as we find ourselves and that's always going to give us the right answer if we do that
0: Yeah, I think that's that's really key, isn't it? And what you said there around about possibly seeing some behaviours that we would normally ascribe as younger, that might be key. Because I know certainly for my own child, there are certain he's nine, but there are aspects of what he's displaying just now that I would, you know, haven't seen since he was six. Do you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah, and it's where ideas about what might be normal can really get in the way here. The children are the children. <clears throat> they're coming into an environment and responding to that environment, the spaces within it, mm-hmm. the interactions within it, uh, the experiences that we offer them within it. And and they're going to respond to those probably in ways that they need to and try and give us messages through their, their behavior. But we really don't have norms right now. We don't know what to expect. We just have to try and provide the children with what they need at the time. Mm-hmm. Can I just come in there
2: to say that that is so reassuring to hear that from from James that we're not looking for some kind of normal um, behaviour of how we maybe remembered children Mm -hmm. and so we need to be responsive and I just wonder if James could maybe add a little bit more about how we think we might help practitioners and teachers to think about planning um, for children being in their, their settings and their spaces.
1: Yeah. So I think there's a temptation here to think that lots of things are different, which actually stay the same. We need to hold on to what things might be different in the current situation and what kind of things stay the same. And for me, the things that stay the same are the principles which are really clearly expressed in realising ambition about how we respond to children, about how we reflect on their experiences, how we plan to extend and enrich those experiences, and how we found children's experiences of settings in those three pillars of interaction spaces and the experiences we offer them. Because the fundamentals of child development haven't changed. Where children are with those fundamentals, how they express those, what we might see has changed. But the basic principles aren't different. We don't need a whole new planning architecture or tracking architecture or whatever. In fact, this is an opportunity to get back to the basics of realizing the ambition, to realize the power of those very, very simple principles and and to start from those and, and give ourselves the permission to see where we go. We're feeling our way. And like with any human thing, if we do it in the context of relationships, talk to families, listen to families, talk to children, listen to families, talk to each other, listen to each other. You know, let's let's try something new here that will keep us right we cannot go wrong because we're making this a shared human experience. That's fab James
0: um, and also I think especially for um, the ELC sector is to draw on our experience already. This is how we already, this is something very familiar for us. We already, some, we don't know some, what what the experiences of the wee ones that come into our setting at first are so we're already geared up and very very expert at meeting children's needs where they are and families' needs where they yep. are and settling children in at their pace and mm-hmm. it's actually something that other sectors can learn from our sector in ELC and um, so we have to think about how can we actually reassure ourselves um, in that practice that we already know and um, how we are so geared for this new new normal I think one of the things that you were saying there, though, James, around about the permission is really important because the, the, we're our own worst enemies sometimes, in that we can put pressure on yeah. ourselves to get things as right as possible, as quickly as possible, yeah. and yeah. you know taking it that little bit slower and having that time for dialogue. Yeah,
1: will be and there's a there's a there's a policy and leadership aspect to this as well. Mm -hmm. Because if we design our ELC provision around the idea that children will have this much language, that much self-regulation, this much executive function, be able to recite this many nursery rhymes, by the time they go to school, we're not going to manage to do this. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and realising ambition does actually move us on from that kind of thinking about school readiness and and, and endpoints towards thinking about the children here and now. But we really have to step into the children's world here and the families' worlds and work from inside it. And there's a challenge there for policymakers and leaders to think about what can they relax on?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What principles do we really, really need to, to hold to? Now, if you look at some of the discussion on social media around this, it kind of worries me because it says, <clears throat> let's throw away all our worries about learning. There's enough here. With the social and emotional stuff. A lot of children want to learn stuff. Yeah. For many children, learning things, being able to know or do something that you couldn't do the day before, is a really important part of their sense of self and sense of the world. Also, families are going to have worries about this Mm -hmm. so we can say school readiness doesn't matter it's not a helpful concept but families will be worried thinking ahead about how this experience of the last few months is going to affect their children's futures so we have to meet them in that we have to do more than just say oh that's not as important as this that or the other because it's it's a legitimate concern but we get children where they need to go by enhancing their present by doing the things that they need now, we can have the confidence that they will get where they need to go. But again, as I say, if, if we have policymakers, national or local, who simply say we want 80 percent of children to reach this nevertheless and we've got to catch them up, we won't be able to do that. But I think we're a long way from that in Scotland in, mm. terms, of, in terms of policy.
0: Lovely. I, think I, like, I really like that phrase, enhancing their present. That's something that I'm going to use. That's great. Thank you. Um, so there is there is that kind of anxiety and I think um, not necessarily just in ELC but actually moving into primary one because play pedagogy was shifting and, and classrooms were beginning to look different. But actually now there's a real um, need for that to happen much more quickly to be able to meet the needs of the kids that are going to be coming into those settings.
1: Yeah, I think we're shifting. There's a transition here for the education sector, which is happening far faster than normally happens in education. We tend to have 10 to 20 year transitions in practice terms in in education. Um, But a a shift from play pedagogies across early level,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. seamless transitions across early level. The idea that the move from nursery to primary one might be a change of place in people, but it's not a change of pedagogy. Okay, Mm -hmm. all of those have seemed like good ideas and lots of very, very knowledgeable and skillful people have argued for them. And there's lots of really, really good sources showing how to do it. Our transition, and this is where it's going to be probably quite bumpy in lots of ways, and we need to to face up to this, it's moving from being a nice idea to being a necessity, to being an imperative because it's what the children need. What's going to be really, really odd is that that's going to extend through into upper primary years as well. So play pedagogy is understood more broadly. And part of the challenge is to understand that more broadly because mm-hmm. it's going to mean slightly different things uh, to slightly different groups of children and, and, and in, different, in different places as well what they can do all of those things need to be need to be thought through. But I think that the change from it being a nice idea to it being what we need to do for the children, that's a really fast acceleration across the education system.
2: Mm-hmm. James, can I ask, w- would you foresee then that we should be thinking or suggesting out there into the system that people revisit their vision, values and aims, that they should be thinking about you know, what, what does the programme look like in P1? Because, the traditional um, way to approach maybe some of the activities I struggle to use the word activities I would rather say experiences and interactions but you know, teachers will have for many years maybe thought about what happens in those first few weeks as yeah. children re- they receive children one. are we not really thinking that we did really be radical here and think differently about what those first few weeks might look like
1: I think yes and no so I think, yes, in principle, but a key part of that is knowing your populations, knowing your children. So if you have a bunch of children turn up in P1 and they're ready to go with what we used to call formal learning, off you go. Mm-hmm. <coughs> you probably won't, but suppose you do, that's, that's what you need to do. So I think the change, hopefully at the level of vision, values and aims, again that's not going to change too much because it's going to be about you know caring for children and and, and well-being With, with the policy context in scotland for the last few years the vision values and aims should be fit for purpose but if not it's a chance to revisit them in terms of programs yes i think people will have to look at what they normally do and say does this fit this cohort of children coming in and if it doesn't yeah change it because it's so much easier and more effective to change the program than to change the children because (laughs) you know we're not going to get another batch of children who who fit our fit our program um so again it it's a it's a really rapid transition we tend to assume that differentiation is built into p1s Mm -hmm. simply by the fact that it's small and we care for them and we ease them in i think again there might have to be a step change in how we think about differentiating in in P1 to being something we might do for kids who just need that, quote, little bit of extra help to whatever it is, whether Mm -hmm. it's sit at the table or understand speech sound uh, or whatever, to that actually being the norm that we're gonna have whole class differentiation going on. And what schools will need, and this is where I think the ELC sector can be hugely helpful because we know how to do this. Schools will need means to assess those needs and meet those needs through playful contexts, um, so I think there's a lot of thinking here about how <clears throat> the knowledge we have in the ELC of how to assess, how to plan, how to track, how to capture those in ways that involve the child and the child's voice, how those can inform what happens in, in P1s, and there's going to be a huge variety because very, very many P1s, and we've got loads in, in Highland, are, are there anyway. And they, they've been adopting these approaches and they've been differentiating for literacy and other things, looking at developmental skills for many, many, many p one in many, many schools. It's part of what they do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But where I take Marion's point is we probably need to look at those programmes and just think, will those fit the needs that are presenting themselves?
0: Yeah. So in terms of the way that we capture that assessment, I think that assessment word can be quite... Um tricky sometimes because for certainly in the upper school that can that can mean a totally different thing to what we use it in the elc sector so in terms of actually using your observations of the kids that are in front of you and and using that alongside your professional knowledge of right what does that tell me about them
1: yeah so typically in schools we will use criterion based assessments um, which might be framed around particular learning tasks or learning experiences and, and outcomes. Um, forgive me if I'm getting all the words wrong. We're a bit hazy about the, mm. the precise processes in schools. Um, but the idea is we're kind of saying, can we do this? Can we do, this? Can we do it? Can we do? It? Can we do this? In uh, ELC, we do much more holistic, analog-type yeah. assessments and, and observations, and maybe some of those might be more useful in, in the first weeks. Um, but there are some useful criterion-based things out there that the different authorities use. As long as we're, we're trying to listen to the children and see where they are and respond to that, I think how we do it is a completely separate separate thing. Yeah. It probably doesn't matter that much.
0: And I think one of the things that we, we're talking about, sharing expertise, one of the things that we are great at is looking at that whole child in front of us and seeing underneath the behaviour, sometimes seeing behind the words and, and actually trying to put that jigsaw together, so that's maybe a way that we can start to support our colleagues further up the yeah. education system. And,
1: and, and so indeed are, are many, many school professionals. I think what another thing that changes here is instead of looking at behaviour that doesn't quite fit what we're expecting, um, you know, so you, you present some maths material and the child bursts into tears um, or whatever, um, again it pushes this frame a bit further because Many, many of the children may have developmental gaps compared to what you might have expected. And here again, I think the way realising the ambition approaches this is really helpful. So splitting it up into there's language, there's emotional regulation, there's executive function, there's these different things. Observing and looking at our children and seeing where they are with all these different things so we can understand where they're coming from and how we can then layer the curriculum on top of those and do the development while we do the curriculum.
0: So if we're thinking about the kinds of things that will support both the ELC sector and um, across sectors actually we're needing to think about what professional learning our practitioners can undertake now at this moment in time to be able to support them when we get our children and families back into the settings with us more regularly.
1: Yeah it's, it's a whole cycle of needs so we need to understand what the children need but in order to do that We have to have a process of reflection about what staff need and what the systems that they work within need Mm -hmm. and also about how we can task share across systems as well.
2: Picking up on, you know, what you were saying about sharing and professional learning. So, you know, if we're thinking about collaborating across the sectors, we have, I think, an ideal opportunity just now to be sharing not just... um, Our skills and expertise but also information about the children that would normally happen perhaps in different ways Mm -hmm. Um, So I think we probably need to think slightly differently here about how we share that information about children and what The children how the children might present but for me an even more important thing is how we engage with parents at this stage um, Is to really get a sense of the social stories that might be sitting there and finding ways digitally to be able to share that information um
1: for points of transition yeah the parent voice is is really important here um, especially if we can find ways in which the parent voice can also encapsulate the child's voice too um, so i mean we've, we've had this discussion in highland that we we normally do a transition process handing over information about child development We can't do that because we're hopelessly out of date already. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of them are in locked buildings we may not access until the children have actually transitioned. So but fortunately, there's a whole bunch of people who know their children really well. And that's their families. Uh, So if we can only find ways for them to to tell us that information in a way that we can translate into something which is which is educationally um, usable. Uh, so it's moving from the string of the stories of all the different things they've done. And it's been lovely on social media seeing some of those those sharings to turning those into an idea about what children's developmental and learning needs are. So so that's a, that's a start. I think another thing I'd add is, um, yes, we need collaboration across sectors. We also need And and again, this is a thing which is coming, but its time has really come now, is collaboration across professions and disciplines. Mm -hmm. So we have specialist services in Scotland who know a lot about this stuff whether it's language development, whether it's how people manage occupationally in different environments, and how we can we can help them adjust. So I'm, I'm talking about people like speech and language therapists, occupational therapists, physiotherapists for child development, even you know, the odd psychologist knows a thing or two about this. So <laughs> speaking for my colleagues entirely. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so there's an opportunity here, but there's also a need to get some of our expertise into how we're planning services for everyone so where that knowledge might traditionally have been deployed where we think there's a problem we need that knowledge harnessed further for the universal and the, the preventive side and there's examples around scotland where that's done really well already um, i'm thinking of uh, Forth valley there's some really good work going on in in glasgow and Ayrshire with with language in settings but we need to push that much much further come 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 august september
0: Of key messages there, including things like um, making sure that we are working with colleagues from across sectors and across disciplines, the absolute primacy of observations in all of this, making sure that we meet our children where they are and we're not making assumptions, um, and also the importance of the first educators, the families. Lots of food for thought there. Stay tuned, the next episode is. on a similar vein, and we get a little bit more into regulation and um, executive function.
2: Stay well. Chitty bye.